open up to uh, Matthew chapter 21. We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Matthew this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, the passage we're going to be studying together is just printed there for you, you and your bulletin. You can keep that in front of you as we go along. Um, just uh, one announcement before we uh, turn to God's Word. Uh, I, I've been mentioning this last few weeks that our, our church is making a transition on our online kind of communication tool that we, over the last few years, we've been using Faith Life, the local company here in town, to communicate as a church. And we're switching to actually a, a, a tool that's a little more broad in its capabilities for our whole church called Church Community Builder. And so we're trying to get everyone in the church, you know, if you're a member or you make, you call Christ Church your home, uh, go online and activate your account. You, you may have gotten an email in the last couple of weeks uh, from us uh, with a link to activate the account. If you didn't get an email, just go to our church website, and there's a little login link. Click on the login link, and that'll take you through the process of how to get activated. We'd love to get everyone on. If you go on there and take a, put a picture of yourself, I've been announcing this the last few weeks, there's not a lot of pictures on there. So please go on there and, you know, selfie or whatever you need, get a selfie on there just so we have a, know who you are. And, you know, so when someone at church wants to be like, oh, who's that person? What's their name? And they can look you up, or it's, it's going to be our online directory. So we're trying to get everyone on there. Um, so try to make that a priority this week uh, to go and get get signed up for Church Community Builder, and, and if you have questions, feel free to email uh, Diana or, or Daniel, or, or you can email me too, and uh, we can help you if you have any tech problems or anything like that. So uh, that's all we have for announcements. We're, we're looking at uh, Matthew chapter 21, uh, starting in verse uh, 12, and so hear the word of the Lord. And Jesus entered the temple... And drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did and the ch children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes. Have you never read? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. And leaving them, he went out of the city to Bethany and lodged there. In the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, uh, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. And the disciples saw it. They marveled, saying, How did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do uh, what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, Be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Let's pray together. Oh Lord, uh, we thank you for your word and just your teaching on this important topic of prayer for us this morning. And oh Lord, you know how much we struggle to learn to just even speak to you. And we pray that you'd give us insights from your word. Uh, send your spirit to apply these words into each one of our lives so that we may know you more deeply, may know your love more deeply, trust in you, depend on you more. And so uh, be our teacher now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So 
So I love passages like this one because they are so weird. Uh, where Jesus goes to the temple, he's throwing over tables, and then he, the next morning he's looking for breakfast, and there's a fig tree that doesn't have any fruit on it, and so he curses it. And so no more, you will not have any more figs coming out of you. And then he turns to his disciples as kind of the lesson from it and says, even if you say to a mountain, be thrown into the sea, you could throw a mountain into the sea if you really believe. And you're thinking, throw a mountain into the sea? I mean, is that necessary? Is that really part of what we're doing here, is throwing mountains into the ocean? And it's all just so strange. And, you know, in that regard, I think Jesus is a very effective teacher. Because, first of all, these strange things are very memorable. You know, you don't forget them easily. They stick in your mind. You know, the disciples are all going to be, remember when Jesus lost in the temple? He was thrown over the, you know? Uh, They remember that. They talk about it over and over again. But it's also these teachings, these episodes are intriguing. You know, they're cryptic. You, you say, throw a mountain in the ocean. What could this possibly be talking about? And what it does is it draws you in. And as you begin to study these passages and ask questions about them, all of a sudden kind of discoveries come out of these, treasures come out of them. And so, you know, as we look at these two passages, we, we talked a little bit about the cleansing of the temple where Jesus went into the temple and threw over the tables last week. So if you, if you missed that, you can listen to that online. I'm not going to talk as much about it this week. But, um, but you look at these stories the cleansing of the temple and, uh, and the fig tree, the cursing of the fig tree, say, what are these stories about? And, um, well, the two stories, though they seem very different, go together. And one of the things that ties them together, you may have noticed, is the topic of prayer. You see that there in verse 13? It says, he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of thieves. And then in verse 22, down at the bottom there, he says, and whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, I'm certain that almost all of us, if you're a Christian, think, you know, I know that prayer is probably immensely important for being a Christian. You know, if I have a relationship with God, talking with God is probably the most important thing. And yet it's maybe the thing that I find most difficult about being a Christian. You know, making the time, knowing what to say, staying focused, you know, really experiencing God's presence, all that's very difficult. And so I want to spend some time this morning focusing on this element of these stories, thinking about prayer. And in particular, I want to look at two, uh, two topics that, that Jesus raises in, in these verses. And this is what we're going to uh, look at together is, first of all, the priority with regard to prayer, God's priorities and second, God's promises. So first, his priorities, like what does he care most about? What does God want from us in prayer? What is he looking for? What does he expect from us? What are his priorities? And then the second thing, God's promises are the things that actually enable us to pray. And it's crucial, you can't pray unless you know the promises of God um, that are driving you into prayer. So these are the two things, you know, and prayer is such a big topic. I know there's so much more to say, so I'm just going to, the things that are in this passage are what I'm going to focus on and draw out, and hopefully... You know, maybe today in your families or this week in your home groups, you could get into some deeper discussion about, about your techniques, what you do to pray, how to, and we could learn from one another. But these are the two things this morning, the priority of God and the promise of God. So first, the priority of God. What does God desire from us in our prayer lives? And three things I want to highlight from this passage. First, that God desires that all people would pray. It's just, it's not like a special thing that spiritual things do. It's God's, it's a part of being human. 
is prayer is just this fundamental thing about being human, is learning to talk to God. Second, that God desires that, we, um, that our, we're sincere in our prayers. And lastly, that we pray in faith. What does that mean? What does it mean to pray in faith? So we're going to talk about this. Okay, so first, prayer is for all people. Now this uh, passage, if you notice, the, verse, the first ver- words say that Jesus entered the temple. And uh, if, if you're not familiar with the Bible, um, the temple was one of the most important symbolic the uh, most important symbols in the story of the Old Testament. Actually, if you go back to the very beginning of the Bible, you know where it talks about Adam and Eve. They were put in the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden was actually a little temple. It was a sanctuary. It has all these parallels with the tabernacle and the temple later on. And it was a place where Adam and Eve lived, and yet where God would come and walk among them. That's what it says in Genesis 3. He'd come and he'd meet with them. And so it was a place where God and man met together. And then later in the story, you know, the, if you know the, the Exodus where uh, Israel, they were all slaves in Egypt, and Moses led them out of slavery, and they went and they lived in the wilderness, and they were all living in these tents in the wilderness, and God says, you know, you're all living in tents, I'm going to come live with you, I want you to build me a tent too. So he tells them to build the tabernacle, which is a tent where God came and he lived with them in a tent. It was God and man living together. And then... King David comes into Israel, and Israel gets more established, and he says, you know, I'm living in a palace, and God's still living in a tent. I don't think this is right. We should build him a house, too. So then they build the temple, which is God's house, and it's where God lives among his people. And actually, if you, uh, uh, the Bible as a whole is a story about God saying he wants to make the whole earth into a temple. It's a place where he wants to flood with his presence. It's a place where man lives and where, and where God would come and live with us. And so if you look at the end of the Bible, the very end, you know, from the very beginning, Adam and Eve, there's a temple. You look at the very end of the Bible, almost the, some of the final words of the Bible in Revelation say that the dwelling place of God will be with man. And, you know, Jesus tells us to pray, you know, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's saying, bring heaven and earth and make them one place. And so what the temple was was a little microcosm. It was like a small picture, this temple, of what God intended to do with his whole creation, with the whole earth. It's a little picture. And, you know, if you were here last week, I mentioned that um, the temple was a a, a fairly large complex. You know, um, the temple properly, there was a building that was called the temple. But in this passage, when it refers to the temple, there was this huge courtyard, 33-acre courtyard that surrounded the, the actual building of the temple. And this was a place called the courtyard of the Gentiles. And um, the reason for this was uh, God had this vision that when he built the temple, it wasn't just a place for the Jews to come or for his people to come, but it was a place where he wanted people from every nation. They would come and there would be this huge courtyard of the Gentiles. That means the nations. They would come and they would pray and they would, you know, maybe someone would be giving a sermon over in this corner or maybe over here someone, they sing some psalms or they're studying the Bible or someone maybe just wants to be quiet in one place and spending time with God. But it's a really amazing picture that you imagine people from every nation hearing about Israel and say, you know, this nation, they have this God who created all things who invites everyone to come to his temple and to pray to him. And so in this one place, there'd be this place of peace where all these ethnic groups, all these languages are being spoken, incredibly diverse, brought into this one courtyard where everyone's worshiping God and learning together and learning from one another and praying. And so this was God's vision for the temple. And you can see that here, actually, when Jesus says, you know, when he goes in, he's all upset about what they're doing in the temple. It says in verse 13, he said to them, it is written... My house shall be called a house of prayer. 
So he envisioned this courtyard. And actually, if you go to Isaiah 56, 7, which is where Jesus is quoting right there, this is what Isaiah says, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people, all languages, every you know, socioeconomic class, every background, all ages, coming, and it's just this statement of unity where God says all people would come and pray to him and know him. It's really an incredibly beautiful vision. And um, this kind of explains why Jesus was so angry about people selling because what they had done is they turned this courtyard that was supposed to be a place where we were praying and learning about who God is, they turned it into this street fair. It was like a bazaar and they're selling animals, they're selling souvenirs and everyone's going, it's loud and you know, you're trying to pray and you know, one guy's yelling over you trying to sell a cow or something like that or a sheep and you know, there's sheep going by and everything and it's just kind of crazy and you're like, this isn't quite what I pictured when I traveled all these miles to meet with God. I thought I was going to have this you know, spiritual encounter and they're kind of, every, everyone's ruining it. And so um, the first thing that we have to say about prayer, God's priority, is that it's for everyone. All kinds of people, whatever your education, however much you know about the Bible, whatever your ethnic background, whatever your religious background, he wants to bring you to pray to him. This this means that um, prayer is not just for pastors. It's not just for spiritual people. I know, you know, some of you probably think, you you know, you probably say that to me. Oh, you're a pastor. I know you pray all the time, and you're so good at prayer. I'm not like that. I can't do that. Well, first of all, let me tell you, it's not the case for me. I'm a very doer kind of person. It's like praying. It's like, oh, I got to be, it's definitely slow process learning to pray. It's certainly a challenge, so I strongly sympathize with you. And because the reason that prayer is so difficult is because it's contrary to everything about our nature. Our nature is to be independent, self-sufficient, to be strong. I got this under control. I don't need anyone. Prayer is admitting I'm weak. I, I need God's help. And our flesh does not want to admit that. Our flesh doesn't want to live our life that way in dependence on God's generosity. And um, the, But the truth is that, you know, the fact that we're weak that we bumble along in prayer, we don't know, say the right words, you know, our mind's always wandering, it's hard to stay focused, we don't make time, and it's difficult, that's not surprising to God. You know, one of the things I love about this passage is who are the only people actually praying in the passage? Verse 15, but when the chief priest and the scribes saw the wonderful things he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? Children. They're simple language, simple faith. They're the ones who actually are doing what the court of the Gentiles was for, what that place was for. They're the ones who are actually doing it. And it means that you don't, you don't have to be a spiritual genius. If Jesus is welcoming these children, celebrating the fact that these children are speaking to him, singing to him, crying out to him, he's going to welcome us as well. You don't have to have the right words. Your words can be simple. And that leads to a second priority. So God's first priority, that was an important thing, is that prayer is for all people, no matter who you are. It's not just for the super spiritual. It's to just learn to speak to God. But what these children show us is the second priority that God has is that our prayer is sincere. He's looking for us to be genuine with him. You know, speak from our hearts. Prayer is not about showing off. And uh, you can see this, verse 18 here. It says, in the morning, 
as he was returning to the city, he became hungry, and seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. Now, many of you, if you've read that before, you maybe had some trouble with what's the deal with Jesus getting mad at the plants. You know, I, actually, I've had people tell me that this is evidence that Jesus was, did have sin. Remember when he got mad at the plants? You know, in <laughs> Bellingham, we love plants. You know, and if you heard a plant, that's, uh, you know, that's definite evidence that Jesus is a sinner. But I think actually what's happening here is there's no question that this is another kind of lived out parable. Right, it's a symbolic act that he's doing because um, uh, actually last week we looked at the two symbolic acts where Jesus rides on the donkey into Jerusalem to show he's this humble king. And then it's this symbolic act when he throws over the tables and shows God's judgment against the, uh, the temple. Well, the fig tree was, important, it was an important image in the Old Testament. Um, uh, Israel, God's chosen people, was often referred to as a fig tree. This is, here's an example for you. Jeremiah 8.13 says this. When I would gather them, declares the Lord, there are no grapes on the vine, no figs on the fig tree. Even the leaves are withered, and what I gave them has passed away from them. And so the fig tree is a symbol of God's chosen people, Israel. And actually, if you read Mark's gospel, it makes it a little more clear that in this case, the fig tree is actually a picture of the whole temple establishment, all the leaders who, uh, you know, don't want the children crying out and they don't want the children praying in the temple. You know, it's, it, this fig tree is a symbol of this, uh, this temple leadership. And so the cursing of the fig tree is actually a parallel to what he did in the temple. And so the question is, what does this have to do with prayer? Jesus cursing the fig tree. Well, I think it's interesting that Jesus actually doesn't curse the fig tree because there are no figs on it. Actually, we know this is during the Passover. It wasn't even the season for figs. The tree's not supposed to have fruit on it. But you'll know what it says there in verse 19. Note that there's a little note that Matthew makes that he says, he found nothing on it but only leaves. And what this is saying is that the tree, when Jesus saw it from afar off, it had um, all these leaves on it, this great show, you know, this plumage. Uh, you know, that, and so he sees it from the, the, a distance, and he says, whoa, that tree is looking pretty fruitful. Early, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go get some. It's, it's saying, I'm a fruitful tree, and then he goes to it, and there's nothing on it. And um, this is how the temple leadership was. You know, they talked about the Bible all the time. They were God's chosen people. But there was no tenderness in them. There was no hunger to know God. No genuine love. It was all an external show. There was no sincerity there. And the problem with the plant is because of its hypocrisy. It pretends to be fruitful, but there's no real life there. And this is an important thing. So that when Jesus says, no one's praying in the temple, his problem is not with people like us who are, you know, stumbling along, trying to learn how to pray, and we don't have the right words. That's not who he's frustrated with. Who Jesus is frustrated with are the people who have these long, grandiose prayers, is filled with scriptures, filled with the Bibles, and yet they don't care about the nations coming and praying with them. They don't care about those who are being welcomed into the temple, into Jerusalem, and it's only a kind of self-righteous public piety, which means that Jesus' priority for us in prayer is simply sincerity more than having all the words right. And, you know, of course, some of you will know that Jesus' teaching on the Sermon on the Mount is probably his most famous teaching on prayer, where he says, you know, that 
there are people who go out in the street corner and pray these great prayers and they think that, you know, they're being heard by God because they're, you know, they're so, so articulate. And he says, don't be like them. You pray in secret in your closet. Your father listens to you in secret. And he says, don't think you'll be heard by having long prayers for your many words. That's what pagans do. Is they have these long prayers that go on and on. But your prayers should be very simple. And then he gives them this model prayer. And I think when I preached this Sermon on the Mount, I counted the words of the Lord's Prayer in Greek. Eighteen words. Eighteen word prayers. It's very simple. It's very short. But it's sincere. It's from the heart. It's honest. He says, that's what God is looking for from us. That we come to him as sincere children speaking to him simply. And so let me just say a few practical things about prayer and sincere prayer. The first thing is, I do think that if we're going to pray sincerely for God, there is, um, I think, a practice of taking time and pausing, acknowledging who God is. This is actually something just this last year I've introduced in my own prayer life, of realizing I'm coming before the throne of God. He's my loving Father, and He's also the Almighty. And now I'm speaking my request to the King, the Creator of the universe. And sometimes that helps to maybe you know say a few things to Him about who He is. God, You are You are all powerful. You are You've provided for me. Your promises. You make good on all Your promises. You've saved me. Just say some things about reminding who am I talking to. But then after that, I know that for many of us, probably the biggest difficulty of prayer is a wandering mind. You know, you, you, you sit down, all right, I'm going to have a time of prayer, and you might even be halfway through your first sentence, and you start thinking about your job, or i got to get that at the grocery store, and, you know, oh, so-and-so, i got to call them, or some other anxiety that's bothering you. And uh, uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his great little book, Life Together, has a helpful uh, suggestion for that problem. Let me just read it to you. This is what Bonhoeffer says. Says it's one of the particular difficulties of meditation that our thoughts are likely to wander and go their own way toward other persons or to some events in our lives. Much as this may distress and shame us again and again, we must not lose heart and become anxious or even conclude that meditation is not really something for us. When this happens, it is often a help not to snatch back our thoughts convulsively but quite calmly to incorporate into our prayers the people and events to which our thoughts keep straying, and thus in all patience to return to the starting point of meditation. This is what he says. If your mind's going to that person that you keep thinking about, that's probably who you're supposed to be praying for. Or if you're anxious about something that's happening at work, that's probably what God wants you to pray for. He wants to, you to bring to him the things that are actually causing you anxiety. So use your wandering mind to lead you to the things that are actually happening in your heart. It'll show you what's happening in your heart. And those are the things that God wants to hear about from you. And so as we use our wandering mind, our wandering mind actually enables us to be sincere in our prayers and to be genuine. Okay? So third priority, though, that God has um, so we've, we've talked about God's priorities, that all people would pray to him, and that they would pray to him in simple, sincere, genuine words. But the third thing is also that his priority is that we would pray to him in faith. And uh, you, you, you see that there in verse 22. Whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Now, I, I wrestled with this several years ago. What does it mean to pray in faith? 
Does that mean if you close your eyes and you believe really hard, and if I believe hard enough, then whatever I'm asking for God, he will definitely give to me. And, you know, actually, I remember when I was growing up, I was in uh, junior high, and I, you know, I'd never been to church. I, I didn't really know anything about Jesus. And I remember I was in the locker room, and there was this kid who I guess he did go to church, and he starts talking about Jesus walking on water. And he was saying, I think the reason Jesus could walk on water was because he believed 100% that he could do it. And if you even doubt a little bit, then you couldn't. And if we believed 100%, I bet we could walk on water too. I was like, really? You just, if you believe 100%, you can walk on water? And I was like, I couldn't, you know, I can't test it. But, you know, it's kind of a strange thing. It's like if you have 100%, you can walk on water. 99.5% faith is not enough. You sink, you know. And I think for most of us, it's kind of strange that we think of faith as this way of tapping into this magical power, and if I believe 100%, then I get this magical power where I can walk on water and I can get whatever I want in prayer. And, you know, most of us sense there's no, something not quite right about that. And if that's what you think, I, I think you're right, because the tapping into power of prayer is so impersonal. And I think um, that what it really means to pray in faith is to believe that someone is listening. To believe that when you speak and you take your little troubles, your little anxieties that no one in the world cares about except for you, the creator of the universe is a loving father who gives you his attention and he wants to hear. And he's generous. He cares what you have to say. He cares what's happening in your life. And believing there is a God listening to me right now. And it's a God, and he's a God who is generous. He's not, you know, most of us think, you know, God, he's so tight-fisted with all his blessings, and i got to wrestle them out of his hands. And to believe, no, this is a loving God whose hands are open. He's generous, and he wants everything I have comes from him. And so I believe that he really takes my requests seriously and often, more often than not, actually grants them. That's how he is. And so this is what it is to pray in faith, believing who God is and that he's there. Now, the truth is, this I would actually say for the majority of us, this is the main reason we don't pray. We do not really believe God is like that. We believe God is very reluctant to give blessings. He's uh, very, you have to do all kinds of things to get him to move, to act, to do anything. And if God is so reluctant, it's just prayer is going to be this kind of futile act. I mean, there's just no point in it. And that's why none of us actually take the time to actually pray. And so this leads to the second topic. So we first look at God's priorities for prayer, that you know, all people coming to him sincerely and in faith, believing in him, praying. But the second thing that we have to learn about is also what are God's promises to us in prayer that motivate us to pray. And um, I think that God's promises are actually crucial for experiencing his power, his presence, his activity in our lives. And um, because what's really powerful is when you know that God has made certain promises to you, it gives you something to say to him. You know, you, he even actually, you may not know this, but God wants you to argue with him. He wants you to come and say, God, you're good. You've promised this in your word. And now look, this is what's happening in my life. Um, you promised for me to seek first your kingdom and then all my needs will be cared for. You know, my food, my clothing, my shelter, and I need a job. You've made that promise, so make good on your promise. You tell me to not worry about the future. And so, um, because my father knows what I need before I even ask him. Putting those promises before him actually enables us to pray. And this passage, of course, has 
a huge promise attached to it. Just to read verse 22 again, Jesus says, And whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Whatever I ask, you know? A new, you know, a sports car? Will God give me? I know that's a class. I don't know why it's always a sports car when everything, you know, will God give you a sports car or, you know, a billion dollars? And now, we should know that there are other places in Scripture that qualify this statement from Jesus. One, uh, this is, uh, Mike Hollister pointed this out to me last, uh, uh, last Sunday, John 15. Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. So Mike was saying, if we have God's word living in us, so our prayers are God's word, then God will grant what we pray according to his word. And then James also says this, uh, you do not uh, have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So James actually says it's possible to ask wrongly. And so these verses are telling us that, of course, God just can't give us whatever we ask, no matter what it is. What if it's something that's harmful for us? He can't give us those things. So there's a question of what does it mean to ask rightly? And I think one way is to know God's promises and put those before him. And so what are God's promises? Well, there's one promise in in this passage, is that he promises to remove obstacles to his kingdom. This is the first promise. He promises to remove obstacles to his kingdom. And I need to explain this, because this, this, this passage has quite a lot of things that need explanation. Verse 21 says, And Jesus answered them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. What is Jesus talking about if we pray that mountains will be thrown into the sea? And how I understand this is that mountains in the ancient world, even in our day, are obstacles. You know, if you're on a journey, you encounter a mountain, it's an obstacle. And actually, I think Jesus is probably quoting Zechariah 4, 7, which is a verse where Zechariah the prophet is speaking to Zerubbabel, who was a governor in the, in the Old Testament, who was rebuilding uh, the temple in the Old Testament. And one of the big obstacles was this mountain they're building the temple on. And this is what Zechariah says. This, this is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Who are you, O great mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. So what Jesus is talking about to his disciples, he says, you're going to be going on a mission, you're going to be serving people, you're going to be starting churches, you're going to be reaching out to people, you're going to be loving people, caring for people, and you're going to face all kinds of obstacles, and you are going to think these are mountains that are impossible to move, impossible to get around, and he says, simply ask, and I will remove the obstacles. Actually, I, this is something I've certainly experienced in my uh, ministry countless times, but what that means is that if you are walking with Jesus, you are a disciple of Jesus. Your desire is to serve Jesus, to love people, to care for others, to you know, pray for his kingdom and seek his kingdom coming. Jesus says you will face all kinds of obstacles. You will experience God's power most in the face of those obstacles when you pray and say, God, I don't see any way how this is going to be solved. And he solves it. This could be difficult people. This could be finances. You know, the finances are resources needed to do God's work, whatever it is. When we are involved in his mission, 
God loves to answer those prayers. Now, some of you might say, well, you know, it's very narrow. All we can pray about is ministry, like church ministry. What about the rest of our life? There's a lot more to life than, you know, simply ministry. Well, and I think you're right. I think that the other promise is that God promises to give good gifts to us. He is a father who gives good gifts to us. And, you know, as much as we can't take this verse that's kind of like carte blanche, God is saying, I will give you whatever you ask. We can't take that totally literally. Jesus still leaves it very open-ended. Because there is nothing in your life that he doesn't want you to talk to him about. He wants our whole life to be brought before God. That there's no thing that is bringing us anxiety that's too small, that is outside of our spiritual life, whether it's our job, whether it's our marriage, whether it's, you know, relationships, whether, uh, you know, whether it's our finances, where are we going to live, how am I going to find a house, what am I going to do? All of those things God wants us to bring to him and say, there's nothing that's off the table. Bring it all to me. I want to talk to you, and I want to show you my goodness, and I also want to show you that in every area of life, you can trust me and depend on me. And so I think that as we come to a close here, uh, it's raised a question. What are the things that are in your life right now that are sources of deep anxiety, deep questions for you, that you have not spoken a word to God about? You know, maybe you've talked to all kinds of other people. Maybe you've come and talked to me. you talk talked to the pastor. Maybe you talk to your home group. Maybe you talk to friends. Maybe you talk to your spouse. Maybe, you know, You've talked to all kinds of people. You've, maybe you've complained about this thing. Maybe, you know, maybe you've asked for advice of all kinds of things. But I've spent very little time speaking to God about it. Jesus says, whatever it is, bring it to the Father in my name. He wants to hear from you. And, uh, and of course, it's in Jesus that we can be confident that we go to the Father because the Bible tells us that Jesus is the new temple. Where do heaven and earth meet? God's dwelling and man's dwelling, they're in Jesus. Who's the sincere one who's always praying to God? You know, whose mind, you know, Jesus' mind is always wandering to us. He's wandering, and his mind's wandering because he knows all of our lives, and he brings prayers for us. He uses his wandering mind to pray to God for each one of us before the Father. And, uh, and he is the one who has God's word living in us in the truth. And so God's priorities for us in prayer are that all people in sincerity and in faith would come to him knowing his promises, that he will remove all obstacles to his mission and is the giver of all good gifts. And it's in that hope that we come to him as a praying people. So let's pray together. Our Lord, thank you for the great gift of prayer. You're a God who wants to hear from us. Teach us to open our hearts to you. I pray for those who are here who find that they rarely pray. I pray that you would give them time in their life, space, uh, to think about you. Give them words by your spirit to speak to you. And I pray that you would hear them. They would find that you are indeed are a God who gives many good gifts. It's in that hope that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.